everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 230 of Yoga Land. We are going to continue our discussion of Patanjali today. So Jason's here with us. Hi, Jason. Just so pumped. Patanjali time. You're pumped. Yeah. It's, t- it's been five years in the making. Five years in the making? What do you mean? Well, the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For okay. us to get to. I mean, like, I've been dealing with, I've been dealing no, with Patanjali longer than five years. I know, but it is really strange that it's taken me so long to get this happening because it's been requested from the very beginning. So. Oh. Well, it's difficult to talk about, right? I was thinking about this a lot. It's as a yoga teacher or a teacher of anything, you have to have knowledge of the subject, but you also have to develop the ability to communicate that knowledge. And those are different features. I think it's really difficult not only to understand some of the layers and nuances of Patanjali, it's really hard to teach it. And I just want to say this, this is not a plug at all. I've been teaching 300-hour teacher trainings for a really long time. I've always done them live. I'm now doing them online. It is so much easier for me to teach this stuff online than it is live. Because one of the things that you're dealing with as a yoga teacher is insecurity. You're dealing with your own insecurity, right? And so the place where I am most secure as a teacher is when I am moving a little bit and I have my students moving. When I have students in a tempo and attuning to their breath and the sensory experience of their body, I'm in a pretty comfortable place. When I'm talking about the more subtle layers of Patanjali or Upanishads or Bhagavad Gita, And I'm doing that in a lecture context, sitting in front of a bunch of people who are sitting. I'm not comfortable. Hmm. It's hard. Yeah. So of all of the things I've ever taught live and online, I feel so much more comfortable teaching this stuff online because there's no one else in the room. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's me, a camera, some good lights. Yeah. And a little set of notes. It's also like when you're in the room and people you're responding to the room. So people can bring up questions that might veer off into one direction or the other, and it can be hard to get back. Whereas when you're recording, it's like, okay, I'm going to do three videos and divide it up this way. And then you get through the content. Yeah. you or That's the other thing too, for me is because I understand online education, because I've done it for a long time. And early on when we were, when I was creating courses for Glow, like when we first started creating these almost 10 years ago, we worked with a bunch of online education specialists. So I understand best practices for online education. And online, you cut things into much smaller segments. Yeah. Which means as a yoga teacher, you don't have to, in one fell swoop, like over the course of an afternoon, try to explain everything you know about Patanjali in some like four-hour increment. It's awful. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I just feel like, I'm finally in the right environment where I've been able to to organize how I communicate this content into smaller, pithier chunks that then flow together. So I think it's not only easier for me, but it's easier to digest, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's just kind of why, right? It's like, I've never felt until I was teaching all this stuff online, I've never felt that comfortable suggesting to you, hey... Let me 
have a go at these pieces of content in short form. Yeah. On the podcast. Well, good. Well, I'm glad we got here. Yes. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, go listen to 229, which is where, you know, we start talking about Patanjali. And it's a good foundation. I think one more thing to throw out, you know, and I, I brought this up last week, which is so often the environment that we learn about Patanjali is in a 200-hour training. And in a 200-hour training, there just isn't that much time for any one thing. You know, it's just not exhaustive. And like I said, I think I'm a pretty good communicator and teacher, but I've always struggled to teach this stuff live. It's just hard. And it's like anatomy. I think in order to understand Patanjali and make it impactful in your life, it just takes years. It just takes a lot of time of reflection and circling back. And we know that as we grow and we have new and different experiences, we can reflect on the same content and see it through a different lens. Right, right. right? right. I think the last thing too, you know, just kind of where we're going to go with this, talking about chitta, talking about the vrittis and talking about gunas. These are inputs into Patanjali's model that Patanjali assumes you already know a little bit about. Same thing last time when we spoke about Samkhya, when we talked about Prusha and Prakriti. These are inputs. These are part of the backstory that Patanjali assumes the aspirant has some fundamental knowledge of. And so oftentimes in a 200-hour training, we are likely to just skip forward to the eight-step path. And there's so much there. Even if you ignore everything else and just go straight to the eight-step path, it's worth it. You know what I mean? The eight-limb path, it's worth it. But when we take the time to understand the inputs that go into Patanjali's model and the assumptions that Patanjali has prior to going through those eight limbs, I think we get a lot more out of those eight limbs. Yeah. We get a lot more. It's like if you watch a sporting event, you might appreciate it, but you're going to appreciate it a lot more if you really know the nuances of that sporting event. It's like a meal. You might really enjoy a meal, but if you know everything about what went into that meal and how it was harvested and how it was chefed, and you know, there's just more layers there. So I think that for us to take the time to not just skip forward to the eight limbs, but to do all of the backstory, I think it it's just going to help us appreciate the depth and scope of the path itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then let's get started on today's topic. So yeah. should we start with chitta? We should start with chitta. Okay. Because chitta is discussed early in Patanjali. Patanjali is making a statement very early on. He's saying what yoga is. And he's saying it is the fluctuations of the movements of the mind. Mm -hmm. It's the fluctuations of our psyche and our soma. So chitta, chitta vritti narodaha, is a pretty important concept to break down. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really beautiful because chitta, we can first think about chitta as our psyche. So this is where Patanjali is describing psychology. Mm. He's providing us with a formula for what the psyche contains 
and what affects the psyche. So when he's talking about chitta, he's talking about our mind state, also including our sensory state. So our mind slash sensory system is chitta. And then vritti is that which makes those things active. Or it's the states in which we find those things. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to unpack chitta and vrittis in order to get a deeper insight into Patanjali. So Patanjali essentially cont contends that in the last episode, I talked about concentric rings. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to do the same because this is really how Patanjali lays out chitta, is that we can think about it as concentric rings that form our psyche. So at the innermost core of self is Purusha. Encircling that, Prakriti. A form of Prakriti is Chitta. Hmm. So our mind state is a form of Prakriti. So there are three components, according to Patanjali, of Chitta. There's Buddhi, there's Ahamkara, and there's Manas. You can imagine that Patanjali is laying out this worldview where Purusha is the innermost core of self, but Chitta encircles it. Well, I have a graphic for this that we'll that we'll put up. And I won't I won't make the joke about I want ten cents for. for well, we never even put up that graphic, oh, so you... it'll be good. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay. Okay, it's because no one sent me their dime. Oh my God. You remember when you has to, had to have um, change for the telephone? Yeah, of course I do. Of course you do. Okay, so... Remember when you used to go up to the payphone and check for change? Uh-huh. Constantly? Yeah. Yes. This is before we were, you know, 10 years old. Not yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> we never this is not last week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had some tough times paying the rent as a yoga teacher, you but... You looking for dimes. No, no. You keep your dimes. Invest them. Venmo me. Okay, so Purusha the centermost core of self. Chitta encircles the, that central most core of self. Chitta is our psyche. There are three components of right. it. Okay. Buddhi is the component that is most refined. It's the part of our psyche that is most refined. And in those concentric rings, it's closest to our true self. So buddhi is largely defined as the component of mind that's governed by discernment. So high-level knowledge, high-level discernment, a sense of right and wrong, right? A sense of deep knowledge. So buddhi is, we can think about it as the discriminating, discerning, deeply intellectual component of self component of mind. Okay. Okay. Just so making sense so far. Yep. Okay. So encircling that, another component of chitta, remember there's three components, is ahamkara, which literally translates to the eye maker. Okay. So the ahamkara is, is our sense of self. It's our sense of I amness. Hmm. It's our sense of I am sitting here. I am six feet tall. I have skinny calves and a space between my teeth. I am a good yoga teacher, blah, 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 blah. It's the sense of I am feeling. It's all of that intellectual and visceral sense of self. 
And this, we want to understand, this is an integral component of yoga psychology. We are not trying to get rid of this. Okay. This is kind of like one of the most common misunderstandings. Okay. But we'll, we'll, if you want to return to that, we'll, we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we have the components of our psyche. So far, we have the discerning sense of, who, of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We have the sense of self. And then the outermost layer, the part of our psyche that is most frequently in direct contact with the world outside of us, that is manas, which is roughly translated to mind. Mm -hmm. So manas, you can think about it as the, the sensory processing component of self. Hmm. It's the part of mind that is taking in information from the world around us and then, and then forming thoughts from it, right? So when I am looking out our backyard, I am seeing that it's bright. There's flowers. I see a bee. There's sun. So Manas is the part of the psyche that is literally just, it's, it's computational. Hmm. It's taking in the sensory. Processing. Yeah, it's taking in the, the, sense, the sensory world around us. And it is processing those senses into the sense of I amness. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately into that higher sense of knowledge and discernment. Okay. Right? So that's chitta. Right? That's chitta as well as we can think about it or describe it in short form. And chitta, we want to understand again, is our psyche, but it's also our soma. So it's our mind slash body. There isn't really a distinction in this world between mind body. It's mind body, mm -hmm. not mind and body. It's mind body. Mm -hmm. So psyche is chitta. It is comprised of those layers. Right? Mm -hmm. And so Patanjali, we want to just take a, a, a reminder, and Patanjali wants those layers to cease, to stop moving, to stop fluctuating. The reason that he wants those things to stop fluctuating is because the activity of those things, he believes, obscures our ability to perceive the deepest core of self, Purusha. Got it. Yeah. So talk to me about how you're interpreting vritti. Vritti is not too difficult to interpret. You know, vritti is like, there, there are certain things, and a lot of Patanjali is pretty opaque. And thank God, whatever your personal God is, whether you have one or don't one, have one, right? Thank God that there are so many commentators that precede us, mm -hmm. right? Vrittis are pretty straightforward. So you can think about this. Any activity of mind whatsoever is a vritti. A vritti is a movement. It's a fluctuation. It's an electrical current. A vritti essentially means that chitta is engaged with something, that any of those layers of our psyche are active. If if the mind is doing anything, if there's any pulse whatsoever up there, that is a vritti. Patanjali wants these vrittis to stop. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, we might ask ourselves how plausible this is, mm -hmm. right? Patanjali is not asking us to do something simple. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a weekender. Okay? Fair enough. We can take Patanjali as a contemporary householder without a doubt. 
But that wasn't the original context. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely that was the original context. Let me put it that way. It's unlikely that was the original context, given all of the kind of surrounding concepts that he's laid out. He says that there are five vrittis. So essentially he says, your mind, your psyche, your chitta is going to be involved in five things at any given time. One of five things or multiples of five things. And the first thing that he says is right cognition, meaning one of the five things that your mind will be doing is understanding something correctly, like whatever that is, right? Like understanding something correctly. The second mind state is misunderstanding something. So inaccurate cognition, Mm -hmm. right? And if we just kind of take a step back, our mind gets stuff wrong. All the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Sure. Like every single day, our mind is getting something wrong, mm-hmm. right? What we thought we knew about ourselves, or how we thought someone like, oh, I was talking to someone and they were kind of short with me. I think they're upset with me because six months ago I didn't respond to their tech. They were just having a bad day, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So th- these first two things that he's describing are essentially cognition. The mind is understanding something correctly or the mind is understanding something incorrectly. The next thing he lays out, which of course is a massive category, is imagination, right? Right. It's imagination. (laughs) That the mind is involved in some discursive, imaginative make-believe, right? right? And and that's that's, the majority of what the mind does is produce Mm make-believe. And I think that sometimes that sounds dismissive because, look, I think the, the human mind is beautiful and amazing. I like the human mind a lot more than Patanjali seems to. You know what I mean? Like, I really do. Like, yeah. I, I kind of like Prakriti, and I like the activities of Chitta. Yeah. So I'm a pretty big component. I think the human mind is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty clear that it spends a lot of time in imagination land. Yeah, definitely. Right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's daydreaming, whether it's like futurizing, planning, planning, analysis, like all of these things, like, okay, when I get here, then I'm going to do that and I'm Mm going to feel this way and I'm going to have this food. I'm going to totally hydrate and then I'm going to relax. You know what I mean? And and then what is most of that? Misapprehension. Almost all of our imaginations become inaccurate cognition. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter. So then the fourth one that he brings up is sleep. Right? Nidra. Oh. So nidra is considered an activity. It's, it's a vritti. Right? So it's a vritti. And that vritti is, an, is activating chitta. So yoga nidra is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a vritti. It is a vritti that is, is very sattvic. So we'll get to the guna soon. Right? And it is a very good tool that ultimately, from Patanjali's perspective, likely needs to be dispensed with, right? Because he doesn't favor a vritti. He wants vrittis to stop. Yeah, okay. Okay? Hmm. So that said, he's presenting a pathway. So it's not like you can do everything at once, right? It's not like... All of a sudden, everything just suspends itself. Okay. So 
let's just stay let's just stay with this component first yep. okay. okay let's just kind of stay with the because there's a lot of cross usage of language right yoga language has been borrowed and repurposed and repackaged from time immemorial this is not a particularly new phenomenon so let's just think let's just stay in the vritti's category of now we have four correct cognition incorrect cognition imagination sleep mm-hmm. nidra Fifth, memory, mm, smriti, of course, right? right? Memory, mm-hmm. like the mind is involved in a memory. Like yeah. those are the things that it does. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, right. It's it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing list, right? And again, we this is where we want. I think we can appreciate Patanjali so much, whether you completely buy into all of the inputs and the desired outcomes or not. We can appreciate it. Look, there's a lot of things in my life that I don't agree with or enjoy, but I appreciate, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where I see like, oh my God, there's so much skill and depth in in this kind of thing, but I'm just not into it. Right. Right. No, but to to break it down that thoroughly, but in such a concise way is is definitely impressive. Because yeah, that that does feel very all-encompassing and yet simple, like easy to remember. Well, it's it's, it's the hallmark of an actual, Patanjali is not the quote-unquote father of yoga he's not the founder of yoga he's thousands of years into like steps into a world that has had the concept of yoga for at least two plus thousand years mm-hmm. at he least he could be a she he could be have an observe she could be have, have been observing the brahmins right mm, maybe no i mean i think not. i think i think we're getting It'd into imagination okay <laughs> Just as you were like saying, he, he, he. But maybe there's, realize, there's a like, novel in there. Yeah, exactly. There's a novel in yeah, there. Yeah. I want to uh, just say one more thing, which is that it, it's all, I think one of the other things that stands out to me that is just so impressive is thinking about Nidra as a Vritti, because it totally makes sense. And now we all, we all live in this time when we measure brain waves during sleep and we know about all these, this yeah. activity during sleep. It's quite and, active. Right. Exactly. And of course, like, Patanjali had the experience of sleep, right? right so he knew that there were this was happening, but it's still pretty impressive to think like that they didn't necessarily have the same tools to measure what was happening, and yet they knew it was happening. Big time, yeah. I, I think just as a point of personal reflection too, Patanjali is asking us to stop these things, but in, in a modern setting. I think we love to ruminate on things and just like get to know ourselves through different models, right? Mm-hmm. So taking a moment to do that, if I consider the vrittis and I consider where I spend most of my time, I can tell you where I do not spend much time is memory. I know you're good about that. Well, good about that or not good about that, like I am almost never concerned with what happened a second ago. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. I mean, then maybe it, no, it's not over because karma exists and things, you know, there's causal well, you just relationships. Don't hold on to things. I don't. And part of it is like, I don't have a good memory. I know you don't. So, well, you right, don't have a good working memory. Well, fair enough. You have a good long term memory. But I just, so I don't spend much time in the past. Some people do, you know? And then for me, I feel like I spend a lot of time in in imagination but in the planning futurizing mentally organizing phase of 
imagination. Mm -hmm. Like that's where I spend a lot of my time. Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time getting things right and a lot of time getting things wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like th those feel to me like those are, I don't feel, I don't spend like a particular amount of time in dream state. I don't spend a lot of time in memory. I spend the majority of my time in getting things right, getting things wrong, and the planning side of imagination. Of imagination. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I think it's really, really common. And my guess is that this is a very contemporary brain state because of the kind of variables that as a human, we have to work with. We have mm -hmm. to work with a lot of complexity and a lot of planning and a lot of futurizing. And planning and futurizing is pretty closely uh, aligned with anxiety. And we are kind of an anxiety-driven, stress-driven culture. So. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Patanjali is also ultimately asking that those vrittis, those fluctuations, those any mind state whatsoever is a vritti. Any mind state whatsoever is a vritti. And he's asking for those to be restrained right or to be dampened or to be flatlined or to be muted or so those activities are producing so those vrittis are what chitta tends to do right. so the psyche tends to do those things right so by not doing those things chitta our psyche is still Right. It's like uh, it's like a body of water that's completely still. Mm -hmm. And when you have a body of water that's completely still, now you can see through it. But if there's activity, you can't see through it. When that body of water is completely still, you can see through it to what Patanjali perceives as the deepest core of self. Purusha. Mm -hmm. So we have no interest in the waves. There's no interest in the ocean. There's no interest in, in all of that surface level Prakriti activity. It's all the same. One way or another, it's all the same, which is obscuring to the perception of our deepest core. And that's why it's a problem. That's why it needs to be stopped. Right. And that's why Patanjali is not asking us like the Tantrikas do to like, you know, dance in the fields and celebrate this body of life. Right. That is so not what Patanjali is asking Dance us to do. Dance in the fields. Uh-huh. Well, and well, that was the left-hand school. Anyway. I know. So, okay. So how do we how do we connect the gunas to chitta and vritti? I kind of think about this, and this is a place where I am making a connection that I've not heard or seen in academic literature. So this is completely interpretive to me. When I think about the vrittis or those mind states, Patanjali doesn't seem to abs to ascribe emotional or sensory qualities to them. He just kind of refers to them as mind states. Mm -hmm. Like they're activities of mind. They're things that mind does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it almost sounds like the mind does those things in a robotic, non-feeling way. Like, the, like he just doesn't ascribe right. a sense tone to them. Mm -hmm. Where he talks about sense tone is really the gunas. Mm -hmm. That's where he's talking. That's where he's talking about the sensory, energetic, emotional components, right? So when he's talking about gunas, he talks about three gunas. 
sattva, rajas, and tamas. The gunas are the constituents of nature, right? They're the components of nature. They are the three strands of the rope. Like think about uh, this is a way that it's often described, right? Think about a rope and think about a rope being comprised of three strands that are woven together. Mm -hmm. So that rope is existence and the strands that are woven together to produce that existence are tamas, rajas, and sattva. Mm -hmm. They are the elements that everything is comprised of, that all prakriti is comprised of. So everything within and everything without except that divine core, that okay. purusha, that soulful <laughs> component. Tamas is described as heavy lethargic. I mean, there's just like, there's just like, so there's books, there's like books and books and books and books. Okay. About so this. Let's just like get to the heart of it, which is Tamas is kind of a lower, heavier, more inert mm -hmm. tone, mental, emotional, physical. It's a tone. Rajas is a higher frequency, greater stimulation, kind of more buzzy, more elevated tone, mm -hmm. right? So emotional states according to that, sensory states according to that, mental states according to that. And then sattva is the middle. Right. Sattva is steady. Sattva is closest to buddhi. It's closest to Purusha. So Patanjali favors sattva. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, the eight limbs that he brings out, the eight limbs that he establishes, and a lot of the purpose of the preparatory phases and the, the early phase of meditation, dharana, is to just give us a more sattvic experience of prakriti, a more balanced more regulated, more calm sense of self. I understand that at this time, this was not a householder's text. But I do wonder if there was any part of it that was like, we know not all of you are going to reach Samadhi. You're not all as awesome. <laughs> right? But we can at least shoot for being more sattvic, I think what we can do is, obviously, there are different texts, but we can refer, refer to some of the poignant moments. There's a lot of them in the Bhagavad Gita. And when Krishna is talking to Arjuna, he says, any step on this path is worth it. Mm -hmm. Any step on the path of your dharma is worth it, even if you don't make it very far. Mm. So the in the Bhagavad Gita, part of the I think the brilliance of the Bhagavad Gita that gets overlooked is the the way in which Krishna pr provides a, various hierarchies of value and essentially says, like, here's top level value. You live in accordance with Dharma no matter what. You don't want to kill your cousins. Bummer. No one wants to kill their cousins. But it's kind of your job. Yeah. Time to do it. Do it. But then he layers in very several different things along the way, essentially saying like, hey, even if you don't get to the pinnacle of the mountain, take a step. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a reasonable way 
to interface with Patanjali. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be honest, it's the useful way to interface with Patanjali. I think it's the modern way to interface with Patanjali. I think I've never met anyone in my entire life that actually completely wants what Patanjali sets out for. Hmm. Because to have what Patanjali sets out for, it's a full negation of all Prakriti. Right. I don't think that people want to sign up for that. Yeah. And I think if they do, I don't know who they are. Right, exactly. You know what we I mean? We don't know them. We don't yeah. know them, they right? Might, yeah, I they think might exist, but we because don't Because I think them. you would I think you would have to be pretty much in a purely monastic setting. That's what I think too. You know? Yeah. So I, I think you would be you would be a monk and the world would not like you wouldn't be posting on Instagram. Right. right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just it just wouldn't happen because Patanjali is is there is no if, ands, or buts. Chitta vritti naroda. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of consciousness. He's saying yoga is a state in which you have no activity whatsoever ever of anything that is prakritic. What is prakritic? You have no sense of body. You have no sense of self. You have no sense of mind. You have no sense of mind state. And then when you look at samadhi and all the different levels of samadhi, He's clearly further reinforcing these variables. So this is why, you know, when Richard Rosen, not to misquote him, but when Richard was on your podcast years ago about Patanjali, said something along the lines of, Patanjali is not particularly affirming towards life and the human condition. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. It's where Georg Feuerstein writes, what Patanjali is presenting us is a negation of every single thing that we know that we perceive that makes us human, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that this means in any way, like, okay, we'll throw, throw Patanjali out. But I think that you're bringing up the key thing, which is like, well, can we take a little bit of it? Yeah. Can I have like Patanjali light? <laughs> and that's where ultimately I think we're going to get to, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's where like, for those of us that are listening to a podcast, not sitting in a monastic order mm -hmm. there's so much to take from this but i think right. i also I mean, think it can still be sincere like i'm yeah 100 percent. It, it can still be sincere and that you're but you are going as far as you can go in and your and like according to you like you said according to your dharma and your karma and like who you are in the world i, I just want to interject one quick thing which is have you heard gary craftsell tell tell the little anecdote of yogi Rogi bogey. <laughs> is that, sorry, I laughed. Is that a real? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I shouldn't laugh. I will look it up. No, it's funny. I'll look it up okay. because I'm not going to tell it exactly right. But he, there's some anecdote where okay. someone is asked, you know, are you a yogi, a, a rogi, or a bogey? Meaning, like, are you a true yogi? Okay, yeah. Are yeah. you a rogue or are you just bogus? Got it. Got and it. the answer is always bogey, mm. right? And And it's like... Not that you are insincere or that you are trying to put something on, but that you know you are not a pure yogi. Like yeah. you know that that's not really attainable for you. And there is a reference to where he says that, so I'll try to find it. But I, I was listening to a podcast recently, and the guest just said, "You know, every day I just try to be less wrong. Like that's my goal. I just try to be less wrong." Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and I really it's a good parenting goal. Too. Yeah, I I really respected that, right? 
And what we're doing by having these conversations, I think also is helping to honor some of the traditions of the yoga practice because I don't know why, I literally don't know why, but I just feel like it's important to know that I am borrowing from Patanjali and I don't know that I completely want the world that Patanjali is presenting. I don't know that I'm signing up for that. I really mm. don't. But I still really intellectually enjoy it. I find it endlessly fascinating. I find it endlessly helpful. But it's almost like this recipe book where I don't know that I'm cooking with all the exact same ingredients, but I still think it's really worth it. You're not f following the full French technique. I'm not following the full French technique, but I feel like it is my duty to understand that French technique. Mm -hmm. And it's my duty to understand the environment and the context and the historical the outlay that Patanjali presents us in the most deep and refined way and then choose to take it at its will or to take a slightly different interpretation of it. To me, knowing that, that the way that I am living it is interpretive and a little bit different, to me, it's still, for me, I don't know why, but better than doing that without knowing that. You know what I mean? Yes. I so so that's where like to me that's to me too where I think it's such an important so important to be a student of this work is to kind of then know a little bit more about oh well I really am just a modern person that was born in 1974 and not in 200 BCE or CE you know yeah anyways uh, yes. We're, yeah. we're, we're in agreement on that. Let me make this really quick connection again, okay. okay? So if you have questions, we can go from there, but maybe this is just a sum up, okay? So chitta. Chitta is our psyche. Our psyche is not just in our head. It's also our body. So chitta is psychosoma. Buddhi, our greatest, our sense of intellectual discernment. Ahamkara, our sense of self. Manas, the mind taking in information from the world around us and processing it, making a story. Vrittis. Vrittis are the activities of chitta, right? Vrittis, five components. Our mind is either in a process of like understanding something correctly understanding something incorrectly in some state of imagination, in some state of sleep, or in some state of memory. Those vrittis in Patanjali's world don't seem to be given emotionality. They don't seem to be given tone. They don't seem to be, have like feeling states associated with them. Where we seem to get the feeling tone is in the way gunas are described. And those gunas, three of them, the three elements that underscore all prakriti, all everything except for purusha. Tamas, a little bit heavier tone, 
Rajas a little bit more high vibratory tone, and then Sattva centered, mm -hmm. centered. And so Patanjali is trying to help us do things that access a sattvic state because that sattvic state is considered to be closest to our inner core of self. Mm -hmm. You can't access, I'm not saying this, in Patanjali's orchestration, you can't access the deepest core of yourself with a heavy, dense, lethargic tone. You can't access your deepest self with an overly high vibratory tone. Mm -hmm. You can only access that pure, undifferentiated component of self by being in the most grounded and equalized state, which is why Patanjali is asking us the whole time to, through our practices, create a state of equilibrium mm -hmm. because that's sattvic. Can I tell you a funny story? Yes. When I was in my 200-hour training, Georg Furstein did our philosophy section. And when we got to the gunas, he described them. And then, and I completely in that, at that, just at that point in my life, related to the tamasic state. I just yeah. felt like I was just a big, <laughs> depressed, like, ball of inertia. And then he said, he like, he described all three. And then he said, what kind of student would you prefer? Would you prefer, obviously you prefer a sattvic student, but you have, if you have rajasic student, tamasic student, which, which student would you prefer? Always a rajasic student. At least they have energy. I was like so ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. But I was also laughing to myself like, man, all my teachers must have hated me my whole yeah. life because it was so hard to get me going. But so I want to say this. I think this is such a, an important point. And then uh, maybe we'll, we'll wrap this okay. up because I think this is about as much as we can take in any one yes. setting. Mm -hmm. Patanjali is an interventionist. Mm -hmm. Patanjali is a regulator. Patanjali doesn't stop at observation. Not at all. Patanjali is profoundly goal-oriented. Patanjali is not trying to just get you to know you as you currently are and like bask in that state. That might be a reasonable thing that someone chooses to do, but that is not Patanjali. That is antithetical to Patanjali from every interpretation. So Patanjali prefers a sattvic state. So we can do things where we're like, oh, you know, I'm just a little bit more tamasic of a person, or I'm just a little bit more rajasic of a person. That's fine. Right. But the intention of Patanjali's work is not now to stop there. It's like, and so what? Right. What are you So now do what are you mm -hmm. going to do? Now here are the various methods to get you from a more tamasic state to a more sattvic state or from a more rajasic state to a more sattvic state. And sometimes people are going to hear that and say, well, that sounds judgmental. And it's kind of like, well, he's trying to, he's trying to get you to, to, no, if you're, I mean, I think you have to realize it's you're you're talking about constitution. You're not talking about personality. Yeah. Right. I think when people take things personally, it's like, but that's just my personality. It's like, no, we're talking about like your energetic constitution. Right. And that's too much sense of ahamkara, right? So, so if it's like, well, that's just who I am. Well, that's all. That's the ahamkara. Right. Coming to the fore. Digging its heels in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So ego. Or the ahamkara is raw, man. It doesn't take much. It takes almost nothing in me for that component to just burst to the surface. <laughs> you know, that component of me for me is easily triggered. Mm -hmm. 
you know? And so it's a, it's, it's a component of me to always watch. Like I have to always remember that when, when I am internally defending my state of being, mm-hmm. it's not that that's always a wrong thing to do, but in Patanjali's landscape, that's like, oh, that is a component of my chitta that is raging. Yeah. It's not a wrong thing to do, but it is a thing to be have the ability to observe. Yes. Rather than react to. And that will take us into next week's episode. All right. I like it. Because next week, let's just we'll just get into different models, different ways in which we can look at the eight limbs. Great. And I have three different models. We'll see how long it takes, but I have three different models of using the eight limbs method going from my, what I think is most historic and traditional to what is most actionable in a modern setting. Okay, great. All right. Well, so Jason's going, we're going to put that handout on the website, right? So you can, Go find that at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 230. And let us know how you are enjoying these episodes or not. Um, no, don't let us can... know if you're not. <laughs> Definitely let us know if you are enjoying yeah, them. But if you're not, just don't. Share them don't, and, don't tell and, me. and tell friends about them. And uh, you can always leave a rating or review on iTunes. That's helpful as well. If it's a five. And yeah, exactly. And if it's anything other than a five, start your own podcast. Do better. <laughs> Seriously, do do better. Okay. You're like, oh, they can't. All do right. It. All right. Well, you then you do it. All right, Ahamkara. Let's step back for a moment. That's my middle name. <laughs> Jason Ahamkara. That's your wrestling name. I think it should be your wrestling name. And with that, we shall bid you adieu. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Bye.